It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. That's where we're going to look ahead to the coming days and some of the events at least that are going to be moving markets and shaping investment decisions. I'm Robert Miller. That means this week, looking at the tricky question of location, 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 or rather, where do our banks, fund managers and insurers move post-Brexit? Or do they have to go anywhere at all? We look at mergers and acquisitions and why Europe is a good place to be right now. And finally, we'll look at what's in store this summer. I'm joined by Catherine Griffith, Banking Editor of The Times, Deirdre Hipwell, our Retail Editor, and Callum Jones, The Times Markets Reporter. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Uh, Catherine, let's start with you and the very important important question of location and what exactly is happening in the financial services sector at the moment. And to set the scene, we've got a speech just made by Andrew Bailey. He's the chief executive of the Financial Conduct Authority. He's been speaking at a Reuters newsmaker event. This is what he said. Uh, Open markets and financial services, freedom of location and free trade are important to the functioning of the global economy. Well-integrated financial markets support economic growth and employment. They reduce the cost of access to financial services by encouraging competition. And I think it's always important to have in mind the commitment made by the G20 leaders at the Pittsburgh summit in 2009. That was obviously a fundamental moment, as many people remember, in the wake of the crisis. And that commitment was to avoid fragmentation of markets, to avoid protectionism, and to avoid regulatory arbitrage. But the sad fact of life is that we can't take open markets, freedom of location, and free trade for granted. Is he sort of pushing back? I mean, he doesn't want fragmentation of the markets, but does Brexit actually present him with that? Yes, it could well do. Um, I thought it was very interesting that he referred to the Pittsburgh G20 because what he's doing there is warning regulate his counterparts in the EU27 um, not to go down the path of fragmentation, not to go down the path of imposing some sort of punitive settlement on the UK. He's trying to say that actually Brexit does not have to actually be synonymous with bringing an end to open markets. Another argument often used by by people on, on his side will be all about financial stability, that by maintaining the status quo and pushing on further with post-crisis reforms, this is how we maintain financial stability. Of course, the trouble is, the other side is no one foresaw Brexit when all of this was being organised immediately post-crisis. And also, we've got people like Michel Barnier and others on record saying the UK has to be punished, that leaving the EU has to be worse than remaining inside it. And the two sides are totally irreconcilable at the moment. Are we living in la-la land then? 
No, we're not living in La La Land. It's just really, really hard to see through from here what path we're going to take. At another conference, uh, same day as the Andrew Bailey comments, we had Sergio Rolle, the chief executive of the London Stock Exchange, saying that common sense will prevail, that ultimately the economic interests of the remaining EU27 that we have to maintain clearing as it is now with basically London being the centre, will make people, will make the politicians realise that they have to just dial it down on the rhetoric and just keep on going with the system we already have. The trouble is that while it might well be overwhelmingly in the economic interests of those EU27, politically those countries may feel they, they cannot accept that, that they have to impose some sort of punishment. It seems at the moment that Michel Barnier is of the view that we have to have a punishment. I think actually the main hope that some people have is that um, Macron in France and whatever happens with the German election and potentially other countries too, will themselves see the need to reform certain aspects of the EU, particularly on freedom of movement. And that that might bring the two sides closer together. But the, the time frame is, is going to be hard. It, that hasn't started yet. So we don't know what's going to happen. And all the while, you've got big banks in London not knowing what the hell to do with their thousands of staff and their complicated billions of pounds worth of business. So they have to make decisions now. And, and we keep all going round in circles about it. Out of interest, what do you think London's chances are of keeping hold of clearing moving forward? This think, is the euro clearing, mm. is it? Yes, specifically, yes. I mean, big market. I think London's chances of keeping hold of clearing are very, very high because, um, as everyone has, well, as several people have made the point, we you can't, it's a ridiculous position for the Commission to say that potentially euro clearing has to be brought with inside the shores of the EU27 because you get clearing of euros in London, you get them in New York, you get them in Asia, you get them all over the place and indeed of other currencies too. The problem is that the EU has is that they can force their own institutions to bring clearing inside the borders, but it will be more expensive for them. So they are cutting off their nose despite their face. Deirdre, if I could bring you in here, we've had uh, the recent world pay takeover. Europe looks attractive. I mean, on the mergers and acquisitions front, business is going to go on as normal, however much we're going to be talking about the issues that Catherine and Callum have just been addressing. Absolutely. Certainly when looking at M&A in the UK, many people thought that Brexit and the recent general election would be a real dampener on it. And actually, it's been quite the opposite. We've had almost record levels. I think Thomson Reuters was saying earlier this year that we'd had 77 billion deals announced involving either a UK buyer or vendor. And that was at a 10-year high. And what's also been interesting is it's not just been overseas corporate raiders, for want of a better word, coming in opportunistically because the pound has fallen so significantly. It's actually been a lot of domestic consolidation. We've seen a lot of UK companies joining forces as well as looking overseas. Um, obviously, Reckitt Benkiza was a big one with its acquisition of Mead Johnson. So that has actually been a little bit surprising. I think you know, it is a bit trite to say that, but business, you know, life does go on while all of this kind of political machinations are going on in the background and businesses do have to do something to ready themselves for what a post-Brexit world could look like. So I think there's this feeling that there needs to be a consolidation, there needs to be cost-cutting, they need to be ready for whatever the post-Brexit world might have. But I would argue that rather than Brexit, the thing that has been most impactful on M&A has been 
Trump coming into power because I think that's had a much bigger potential impact on what the US companies are going to do because what happens with the tax system, this whole idea of protectionism. So I think that's arguably more important from an M&A point of view. It's interesting. I don't think sterling is the the be all and end all, but the the interesting part of WorldPay in particular is that a year ago, just before the referendum, it itself was eyeing a US rival for, for a potential takeover. And now obviously we've seen 12 months on with sterling down considerably on where it was just before the referendum, we've seen we've seen the opposite happen. That to me was quite an interesting and telling point of where British companies are right now. Yeah, um that's true. And I suppose Although that scenario has played out as it has, lots of FTSE 100 companies have been boosted by the fact that they are big exporters. And now they're in a very difficult position, aren't they? Because on the one hand, their their stock is up because of because of the, the sterling effect. But but they do have to contend with Brexit. And, and, and no doubt, Deirdre, as you say, Trump and things too. But they're at this moment where there's an awful, an extreme lack of clarity. But they have this kind of moment of opportunity because of the currency issue and the and and you sort of feel in different sectors in different scenarios they don't know you know they're trying to figure out whether to jump or not i do think with with you know the whole sterling issue we you know you don't want to make it too much of a bigger thing because obviously yes you might be buying a company slightly cheaper because the pound is low but then also if their earnings are in pounds that's lower too so i think it might be the icing on the cake for some companies, you would like to think that M and A has done more on you know the long term strategic <laughs> fit of companies. Given how M and A often destroys value, you would hope that a fall in sterling wouldn't lead to a rash of activity. I think you have to look at it on a sector basis too. I think certainly with WorldPay, I mean that is a really hot sector right now. Everyone wants to get into the forefront of payments processing, and I think there was one analyst from City who earlier this week kind of referred to what was going on in that sector as a land grab akin to what was going on in the new world in the 16th century. So (laughs) I think a lot of it's depending on the sector. But I do think, you know, Catherine's point, while the the sterling factor may not be everything, it may just give that added impetus to companies that are feeling a bit more confident. They think, well, if we're going to do this deal and if we were thinking about doing it, we may as well do it now while it's slightly um, cheaper. And I also think the other point to mention is there's never been a better time in some ways to do M&A because financing is still very, very cheap and, you know, all-time low yields. So I think CEOs might feel more confident about their ability to fund a big deal. Yeah, and I think from banks' point of view, funding a, a, a blue-chip company, like, you know, they'd be falling over themselves to to drum up that kind of business, certainly. And would it, would it change? I mean, we've had hints from the Federal Reserve in the latest minutes they want to start a, unwinding their huge $4 trillion quantitative easing programme, but the hint that rates might rise certainly in the US once more this year and and possibly uh, you get a hike this year in in Britain. Uh, Is that going to affect it at all or would it be so marginal that it wouldn't tilt the balance yet against such deals going ahead and financing for it? I think it's marginal in the sense that it's kind of priced in isn't it for for bankers they they know that those scenarios are possible. What I do think is interesting is the fact that they're holding the line in the UK at least on consumer credit not being a problem and yet we are seeing signs of distress in things like car financing which suggest otherwise it will be interesting to see how they try and manage their way through the- Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This situation. Do you think, I mean, they do have some, I suppose one could call them tools in their locker, can't they, where they can make it much harder. They've already told them to increase the amount of money they hold as a safety buffer against these loans. But is there a case of a quarter percentage point tick in an interest rate would actually have an abnormal effect on consumer sentiment? Because the banks, just as they don't pass on the full effect of any hikes, they'll certainly pass that on to their borrowers. Yes, I mean, certainly that's true. I think I think for sort of mainstream big banks, which have been big in car finance, the financial crisis is still very recent in their minds. So while they could have some nasty bad debts, it's not going to be anything too big. There might be the odd sort of smaller casualty. But because basically this is this is a bubble in the way that subprime mortgages was a bubble, I, I don't think anyone would have been insane enough to kind of build up a big problem for themselves. They just haven't had the time, essentially. But, you know, it could. I think it, it feels to me like it could be a bit of a nasty sting in the side for some of these banks, particularly, actually, banks which have prided themselves on having come through the crisis and learned lessons. Deirdre, I mean, bringing you in here very much a retail editor, this, of course, would impact perhaps the front line before anybody else. It would impact on the high street, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, that's where you tend to see the effect felt, you know, most dramatically and often most quickly, um, because whereas consumers don't necessarily react to the political noise, they react very quickly to any sort of, you know, feeling that their real wages are being impacted and interest rates rising. I mean, you'll feel that from your mortgage rate potentially going up if it's not fixed to to um, inflationary increases in prices, which we are already experiencing and which we are already seeing impacting the high street. Although what is interesting is that it depends what sector of the retail industry you're in, how hard you're getting hit, because obviously we've had Primark this week with a very strong uplift of sales in the third quarter. And it was partly because they had very weak comparators last year because it was a cold April and an early Easter. But what was interesting is Primark is saying that footfall is up at their stores. They are having more transactions and in every transaction there are more units being bought. So that would seem to me that although the overall footfall numbers on the high street are lower, the people who are going there are looking for value. So they're going to discounters. So I think if you're in the discount sector, you're looking pretty smart right now. 
that a stock market view, do you think? Karen? Well, one stock which has uh, struggled slightly, obviously, um, after its profit warning, uh, relatively recently, Provident Financial has been down anyway, but it struggled again this week because there were a number of quite negative notes put out about them by brokers. Um, one analyst even calculated that uh, they looked at their typical borrower, Provident Financial, and they calculated that 66% of their monthly income is now spent on credit card, rent and car loan, which is astonishing. And they just make the point that if the real cost of living continues to rise, then, then companies like Provident might actually run into a bit of trouble. Yeah, and they're a doorstep lender. I mean, essentially, I'm mm. downgrading it, but that's what they are. They're not, as, as Catherine was referring to, one of the main mainstays of the high street, aren't they? No. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point. And um, certainly UK Asset Resolution, which is the government body set up to take on the bad bit of Northern Rock and Bradford and Bingley, it's been managed very well over the, over the last few years. And one of its messages has been that for its borrowers, there isn't much wriggle room. So a potential increase in interest rates would have really quite a big effect. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here with these, perhaps some of these provident financial customers. Just looking on the high street, a quick thought perhaps, Deirdre, starting with you, sort of consolidation perhaps? Would, would retailers, can they get any bigger or are there competition issues or is it the fact of actually there's so many different, if anyone thinks about their local high street, so many different aspects of it. Do you see some of the bigger companies just pulling in the smaller ones? Uh, well, we're definitely seeing it in grocery. I mean, obviously Tesco is trying to buy Booker and that's going to have a huge impact, not just on the grocery retailers, but on the whole wholesale sector as well as the suppliers to the wholesale sector, Sainsbury's and exclusive talks with Nisa. So we're already seeing it there in the grocery sector. When you get to clothing retail, never say never. I would imagine that every single company there, they're certainly looking how they can cut costs. They're looking how they can reduce their sourcing costs. They're looking how they can better manage their foreign currency exposure, because particularly if you're in clothing fashion, you're buying your garments in US dollars. They've been quite heavily impacted. So they're all looking at that. And, you know, consolidation is always one of the tools in your box, so to speak, when you're looking at reducing costs and and creating stronger business. But whether or not it'll happen anytime soon, I don't know. But I think the retail sector in general has been quite active. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was more down the line. There was obviously um, so people watching the the Tesco and Booker deal were quite encouraged by the by the uh, release from Booker earlier this week. But uh, I was actually interested that there was obviously a, a huge amount of reaction to the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods not so long ago. But one of the one of there was plenty of chatter around Acada as a result of that and how that could be affected as a as a result of that. Although some people were were bold enough to suggest that it that it might need some kind of acquisition, others suggested that it might just uh, involve more more partnerships in future. But certainly, there's a lot of activity. In that respect, absolutely. In the I mean, obviously, Amazon is paying a huge amount for Whole Foods. Um, and as Seb James at Dixon's Car Firm was saying the other week, oh, it was probably because Mrs. Bezos shops there. I mean, I'm sure there's more <laughs> consideration than that. But I think what's interesting about that deal, particularly when you're looking at it in the UK context, it's more just the scale of Amazon's ambitions in the food sector in terms of. Whole Foods itself, it only owns a handful of stores in the UK. So it's not like Amazon suddenly bought this massive store network. They absolutely haven't. It's more the scale of what um, they're doing. In terms of Ocado, I think it's Ocado is the only pure play online food retailer. So it's it's always going to be compared to Amazon. And I think Ocado is it's a Marmite stock. You either get their model and like it or you don't get it and you don't <laughs> like it. And they've been around for a long time. They still haven't gained that great a share of of the food market. They've only recently started 
making profits. And in fact, this week their profits were less than expected. So I think Ocado is just one of those stocks that will always be compared with Amazon. But I think we'll, we'll have to wait and see what impact the Whole Foods acquisition has. All right. Well, uh, finally, let's just have a quick change of pace. And uh, just to set us in the mood, uh, here's a quintessential sound of summer. Let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how. Come on a safari with me. That was the Beach Boys surfing safari, of course, because that's been a hardy perennial of businesses that we've talked about may come and go, but that, in fact, has uh, set the tone for many of them. Uh, scene for lazy summer days, Callum, starting with you. Any, If you had to watch out for one thing while you're lying on the beach, uh, what would you be thinking about? What would you be looking at to say, I, I have to keep an eye on this? What, this summer? I kind of take the policy when it comes to this time of year that beggars can't be choosers, and I'm filling in for Richard Fletcher on the morning email next week. So I'm very much hoping that anything will come through at seven o'clock each day and we'll, we'll have to see where we go from there. I expect the unexpected, no doubt. Catherine, a time of summer crises. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, you can get you can get a sort of hideous story that kind of blows up out of nowhere in the summer when because it's kind of quiet and then if something happens, it can assume gigantic proportions. Um, so who knows? What about you, Deirdre? I think everyone's going to be looking on the high street at M&S. I think M&S is, is always a perennial talking point, but I think Steve Rose seems to be making some headway and I think it'll be interesting to see how they've traded through the summer and we have their AGM in a few weeks, which is always an entertaining experience. So I don't know, m and is, is, is one story company I, I'm watching closely. Do you get M&S sandwiches if you go along to the AGM? You do, and you sometimes even get some biscuits and some drinks. Although oh. the last time I went there, there was a pensioner couple who'd been going to the M&S AGM for years who complained to me that they once used to get a hot meal and alcohol, and it's just not the same anymore. I can <laughs> understand that. Yeah. All right, well, thank you all very much. Enjoy those lazy summer days. And uh, that's about it for now. But uh, watch out for financial updates. It's going to be fairly quiet, but we've got Begby's Trainer, the financial services company, and you'll find that and, of course, all the other news and analysis online, phones, tablets, and in the paper. If you'd like to become a subscriber then uh, to The Times, you can go to thetimes.co.uk, sign up there, and that will give you access to our daily morning and lunchtime bulletins, which, of course, Callum will be in control of. So watch out for that. And remember what he said, anything you've got, let him know about if you want to hear us weekly, do subscribe through iTunes. Uh, my great thanks to Deirdre Hipwell, Callum Jones and Catherine Griffiths. They're on Twitter, so don't forget to follow them. And please join us again next week. Thanks for listening. 